Welcome to Living For Him podcast, where in every episode, you are invited to experience the joy of a life in Christ. I'm your host, CJ Cousins, and in today's episode, it is my prayer that the primary emphasis and goal of the following message is that you hear and respond to the good news about Jesus Christ and his kingdom. So whoever you are and wherever you are, thank you for joining us. I invite you to listen with an open heart, subscribe for future episodes, and stay tuned for some next steps after this message. Enjoy. Luke chapter 24. How many of you got it? Amen. Luke chapter 24 and verse 27. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Now go with me over to verse 32. And it says, and they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Let's pray. Jesus, (laughs) you're so amazing. Father, I... I don't have any words, Father, because uh, sometimes, Lord, you just take my breath away. I pray, Lord, that the speaker won't get in the way of this message getting across tonight to those that have come to hear. I really pray, Father, that tonight your Holy Spirit would speak to somebody's heart, but I'm asking, Lord, that you'll also speak to mine as you've already spoken to me through this message. Open our ears, open our eyes, help us to perceive and to see the things in the scriptures concerning yourself. We thank you, Lord, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have had a good summer so far? Oh, only a few of you. Well, I've had one of the best summers of my life this summer. I have met some amazing people, um, some of which are actually here with us this afternoon from my small group in Bering Springs, Michigan. And uh, some of them are just absolutely amazing. Some of them we missed, like Sasha and, and Shannon during the summer. But we also have met some other wonderful people, such as Dave and Lola and Brittany, who's also new at Andrews University. But as a small group, we did something um, fun this summer. We went to Cedar Point. How many of you have been to Cedar Point? How many of you love roller coasters? 17 roller coasters at Cedar Point. 17 roller coasters at Cedar Point. And if I could, I would have went on every last one of them. Um, Obviously, we didn't get a chance to go on all of those roller coasters, but I got my share and we had a lot of fun. But one of the other things that we did, now this wasn't our small group, this was actually Deidre and I and a few of us actually from the small group, yes. Um, We went on the New England Adventist Heritage Tour that's a tour that takes you throughout New England, and you go to the different places where the pioneers um, grew up and started their ministry. And we went to states like Maine, and we went to states like Massachusetts. Actually, let me back up just a little bit. One of the other places we went is New York City. 
And in New York City, we actually went to see my family, to see some friends. But I grew up in New York, for those of you that don't know me, I grew up in New York, and I left there when I was seven years old. And then I pretty much grew up in South Florida. So this time, when Deidre and I went to New York, we can go ahead and put those slides up. When we went to New York, we decided to be tourists. Um, we went down to, this is actually Mary Poppins. We went to the New Amsterdam Theater in the, uh, the theater district, if I'm not mistaken, down in Manhattan. Next slide. Uh, this is Deidre and I as we went on the Hudson River and we went all the way around the island of New York. And this is, I, I never did this. I mean, I was in New York until seven and I went back and forth a few times, but this is the first time we actually went as tourists. We actually went right by, right in front of the Statue of Liberty. That was actually a breathtaking uh, experience. You can go on to the next slide. This is actually uh, the, the financial district near Wall Street. And if you, you could see there's some construction on this building over here to the right. That is the New World Trade Center that is going up. So we got a chance to go there. This is right there at the foot of the World uh, Trade Center. We also got a chance to go to Ground Zero. I think that's the next slide. And then that's uh, looking up at the New World Trade Center. The area of Ground Zero where the, act, the, where the other previous buildings fell, that's where it is. It's a closer, closer shot there. And then, as I was saying a little bit earlier, we also went this summer, we did, we did a lot of traveling this summer, we also went to the New England Adventist Heritage Tour. On this tour, we went to some of those states I mentioned, Massachusetts, Maine, Vermont, New Hampshire, but this picture right here is actually, this is actually Ascension Rock. How many of you are familiar with Ascension Rock? For those of you that don't know, Ascension Rock is a very unique place. Um, Ascension Rock is in New York City, not New York City, it's in New York State, and it's at the William Miller Farm. And there we are, this person actually right here, I think this is Brittany, is that you Brittany? Yeah. That's Brittany, right here at the closest one to the front. And we went to Ascension Rock. Now Ascension Rock has some history. Ascension Rock is where passionate followers of Jesus on October 22nd, 1844, waited for Jesus to return. They were studying the prophecies in Daniel and Revelation and particularly Daniel 8:14. And you can imagine the disappointment on October 23rd, right? We're familiar with this. Harold Camping, I believe is his name. And so we, uh, we understand what it's like for people to expect Jesus to come back and he doesn't. And so I stood there because I was trying to get an understanding of what it is like to have your expectations dashed at that level. Um, as you peer out, you can go to the next slide. Ascension Rock, you can go to the next one. Okay, I'm pointing in the direction where they probably expected to see Jesus come back over those mountains. And as I stood there, uh, I tried to get a glimpse of the disappointment that they felt. Now, these were not people that were motivated by fear when it came to Jesus' second coming. These were not people that were merely trying to create some kind of a fantastic sensation. These were people that we discovered on this trip. These were people that had a passion for Jesus Christ and the word of God. They wanted to go home. And when Jesus did not come back, they were bitterly disappointed. We can't describe in words what that must have felt like. 
But then my mind, as I stood there, my mind went back to another group of followers of Jesus. Another group of followers of Jesus. Go with me now to AD 31. You can go to the next slide. Go with me to AD 31. And seven miles from Jerusalem is a little city called Emmaus. Emmaus is a, a small village, if you will. It's not even a city. It's more of a village. And Emmaus is actually translated warm spring. And the disciples at this point had just experienced the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Their hopes, their dreams were dashed. Very much like what the Millwrights experienced. And as you saw in the slide, in the video preceding this, Friday was a very devastating blow for the disciples. The disciples were expecting their savior. They were expecting Jesus in his first coming to set up his kingdom. The Millwrights were expecting Jesus to come back in a very similar way, but in his second coming, they were expecting him to take them home to his kingdom. Because Jesus said, did he not? My kingdom is not of this world. And they were expecting Jesus to come back. The disciples on Sunday morning, three days later, after the crucifixion, were beginning to hear reports that Jesus' body was no longer in the tomb. On Friday at three o'clock, their hopes and dreams died on a Roman cross. Their Lord was dead. The pain they felt cannot be expressed in words, but the third day soon brought a different set of expectations. As they walked and talked about the scenes of the crucifixion and the recent news of the empty tomb occasionally on their journey, they paused briefly to weep. We only know of one of their names. His name is Cleopas. The other person we don't know his name, but these were disciples of Jesus. These were not a part of the 12, but these were followers of Jesus. They had walked with Jesus. They had seen Jesus do miracles. They had listened to Jesus teach and heal. And as they walked, their minds were wrapped up in despair and confusion as to what took place the previous Friday. And they were so wrapped up in confusion that they didn't realize that they were actually being stopped. They were actually being followed. A stranger gets closer and closer until he's walking side by side with them. They were so caught up in gloom and despair that they didn't even recognize who this stranger was. We pick up the story in Luke chapter 24 and verse 15. Luke chapter 24 and verse 15. The Bible says, so it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. In the midst of their pain, Jesus comes close. In the midst of despair, Jesus draws near. Have you ever been hurt? Anybody? 
Have you ever been disappointed by someone or something that didn't happen the way you thought it should? The Bible tells us tonight that Jesus draws near even when your present seems unclear. I remembered how devastated I was in 2007 when I lost my job. I had just gotten married just a few months before, and everyone was so happy for us. It was like happily ever after. I had two business degrees and a career track that seemed to be leading to the corporate office. And in spite of what I knew to be my true passion, I was sure that I was going to be a human resource manager for my company and make lots of money. But when the job was gone, my future didn't seem so clear anymore. Then when the financial difficulties hit, I remember times where I'd actually come home, at times when Deidre wasn't there, and I'd actually get on my knees and cry. Because everything that I thought I was supposed to be was dashed. I just couldn't make sense out of my present situation. It was there that Jesus drew near, and through a process of three years, he began to reveal to me what his dreams were for me. And it's in some of our darkest moments in life that God comes closest to us to reach us where we're at and to lift us out of despair. Yet in verse 16, it says that their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. I would often wonder when I read this text if they were in such a state of grief and pain that they couldn't recognize Jesus. Or if maybe Jesus, uh, maybe he conducted himself in such a way that his true identity was hidden. But in either case, here is Jesus, the risen Lord, the very answer and solution to their problem, walking right beside them, yet they could not perceive him nor sense his presence. Could it be that all their pains, troubles, and disappointments were allowed to so overwhelm them that they couldn't see that Jesus was right there with them trying to bring them out of despair. So what does Jesus do when we can't see through our pain? I like how Auntie Ellen says it in The Desire of Ages. She says, as they talked of the events that had taken place, Jesus longed to comfort them. He had seen their grief. He understood the the conflicting, perplexing ideas that brought to their minds the thought, can this man who suffered himself to be so humiliated, be the Christ? Their grief could not be restrained, and they wept. Jesus knew that their hearts were bound up with him in love, and he longed to wipe away their tears and fill them with joy and gladness. But he must first give them lessons that they would never forget. He first starts by engaging them in conversation. And just a brief commercial, many times people that are going through despair and dark grief just need somebody to listen, amen? Or sometimes they just need somebody to come alongside them and show that they care, amen? And Jesus models this in this experience. He says to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Jesus has the greatest news to share with them, but he first lets them share what's on their heart. Uh, While he's there, he simply just listens to these two disciples. And quite honestly, friends, I'm still learning to do that. But listen as they pour out their heart to Jesus. 
It says, then one of those, and then one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? Obviously, Jesus knows what things they're talking about. But he's trying to make a deeper point in their hearts. It's similar to when God is looking for Adam in the garden in the cool of the evening, and he comes in the garden. He says, Adam, where are you? God doesn't need somebody to, to remind him of where his children are. Amen? But he's giving Adam a chance to confess. Cleopas, the only one of the two whose name we, we have, begins to speak to this, this stranger. So they say to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, whom, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucify him. Verse 21, but we were hoping that he was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And friends, the same Jesus that took the time to draw near to these men and to listen to them and to walk with them is the same Jesus that wants to be involved in our daily life today. Amen? He longs to come alongside you and to listen to what you have to say. Do you have questions? Are you concerned about what the future holds for you? Does your future seem unclear? Jesus is saying to you tonight, share your concerns with me. Share your concerns with me in prayer. Walk with me each day and allow me to be the one to answer your questions. And just be prepared for Jesus to have an answer because Jesus does have an answer, amen? God still speaks to his people. And Jesus is about to show us and these disciples his primary method of communication. Jesus drew near to these disciples and as he walked and talked with them, he decides to allow them to simply share what's on their hearts. And quite honestly, you know, when I'm, especially when I'm with my wife, you know, many times guys have this problem. We want to solve things. We want to fix things. And one of the things that's very difficult for us to do is to simply sit there and to listen. And I find it absolutely amazing that Jesus being the answer and having the answer, walking there with them, decides not to just say, hey, I'm Jesus. Here I am. I've risen. Jesus actually allows them to engage with him in conversation. Doesn't the Bible say, come let us reason together? Jesus demonstrates this for us here. But you can notice also the humor in this text. Jesus knows exactly what happened. But he longs to come alongside them anyway. 
Her name is Nikki. And she joined our small group in 2008. She came from a Pentecostal background and had a passion for Jesus. Her and her husband lived just a mile away from our church facility. And when they became part of our small group, we had but one objective in our Bible study, and that was to lift up Jesus. No matter what we studied, we were looking for the love of God as revealed in Jesus Christ. Once she was able to see Jesus in each of our fundamental beliefs, we could not baptize her fast enough. I'll never forget the day when I stood in the baptismal tank with my pastor and baptized her. Nikki's entire family, who was an Adventist, actually came to witness the joy of her new birth. And isn't this what Jesus said would happen if we lifted him up? He said also in John 12, 32, but I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto myself. Jesus lovingly rebukes the unbelief of these two disciples and then directs their attention to the very thing that pointed to himself, the scriptures. Jesus started his Bible study with Moses, or in other words, the first five books of the Old Testament. Then he expounds on the prophets, or in other words, the rest of the writings of the Old Testament, which were the books written by the prophets. Simply put, Jesus walks these two disciples through the entire Old Testament and shows them how every book, chapter, and teaching was pointing to him the entire time. Obviously, they didn't have the New Testament then because they were living it, and it wasn't written yet. Yet the same principle applies to all Scripture. Jesus, it says, expounded unto them the things concerning himself. Isn't this what Jesus was trying to get across to the Pharisees in John 5, 39, when he said, You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. This is why Paul, when writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 5, uh, 4, 15 and 16, could say that the Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And in light of this, he could also say that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Therefore, any doctrines or teachings that come from the Bible should find their root and substance in Jesus Christ. This is what makes our 28 fundamental beliefs so beautiful. It's when we see our doctrines in the light of the love of God as revealed through Jesus Christ that we can see their beauty. Ellen White also shared in one of her writings, she says that there is one great central truth to be kept ever before the mind of the searching of the scriptures, Christ and him crucified. Every other truth is invested with influence and power corresponding to its relation to this theme. It is only in the light of the cross that we can discern the exalted character of the law of God. The soul palsied by sin can, be fi can find their root and substance in Jesus Christ. And this is what makes, again, our message so beautiful is when we see our message in the light of the love of God as revealed through Jesus Christ that we can see their beauty. I also love what Auntie Ellen says in another one of her manuscripts. She says, hanging on the cross, Christ was the gospel. 
This is our message, our argument, our doctrine, our warning to the impenitent, our encouragement for the sorrowing, taking an interest in man's minds that will cause them to fix their eyes on Christ. We can step aside and ask them only to continue to fix their eyes on the Lamb of God, Jesus in the Sabbath, Jesus in the second coming, Jesus in the sanctuary, the good news about Jesus in the judgment. I could go on and on, and they're, and they're all telling us something about Jesus. And friends, the, the impact that this has on your life is at a very practical level because you're experiencing a daily walk with a person, not merely a teaching or a doctrine. Amen? You're experiencing a daily walk with Jesus Christ. And truth is more than a mere biblical concept. It is a person. Jesus says in John, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And since all truth finds its meaning and substance in the person of Jesus Christ, who is the truth, that means that you can have a personal daily relationship with him. He desires to be in every area of your life, and he longs to be known by you. But these two disciples will soon see that he will not force his way in to your life. Go with me to Luke chapter 24, verse 28. Luke chapter 24 and verse 28. You see, Jesus is a gentleman. Jesus won't force himself on you. He will not force his love on you. The Bible says in Luke 24, verse 28, and they drew near to the village where they were, where they were going, and he indicated that he would go on further. But they constrained him, saying, abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent, and he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed it, and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. My third point this evening is that Jesus became known to them when he was invited in. Jesus became known to them when he was invited in. You know, a lot of us are just comfortable being around Jesus singing about Jesus, talking about Jesus, or knowing a lot of facts about Jesus. But I ask you tonight, how many of us have truly invited him in? I remember when I finally invited Jesus in, it was around 2000, the year 2000, um, and also I could say it continued all the way through till the 9-11 attack. And I decided to make my walk with Jesus more personal. I decided to get a Bible reading plan and go through the Bible in a year. And then I also decided, you know, I heard a lot about this book, Desire of Ages, and I decided, let me pick it up, open my Bible, and go through the Gospels. And I gotta tell you, friends, that it was in that experience that I came face to face with the man, Jesus Christ. I began to be able to understand his will for my life at a very personal level, not just because someone told me to do it, or because I was raised in a Christian home, but I could discern the voice of God for myself. And that only came as a result of me inviting Jesus in. These two disciples, they felt drawn to Jesus and they wanted to hear more from him. And the Bible says that they constrained him saying, abide with us. 
And I looked up that word constrained because I was interested in what they were, what it meant when it said that they constrained Jesus. It says in the dictionary to force, compel, or oblige, to, co to confine forcibly as by bonds, to repress or restrain. They practically begged Jesus to stay with them. Then the Bible says that he went on, he went in to stay with them. And this is such a beautiful picture of Jesus, amen? It has always been my desire to abide with Christ, and it has always been Christ's desire to abide with us. The Apostle John records the words of Jesus in the Gospel of John, where it says, abide in me and I in you. And again, he echoes this same desire of Jesus in the book of Revelation, when Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. It wasn't until they had invited Jesus in that he became known to them in the breaking of bread. Can you imagine what these disciples would have missed out on if they did not urge Christ to stay with them? Auntie Ellen says in The Desire of Ages, had the disciples failed to press their invitation, they would not have known that their traveling companion was the risen Lord. Christ never forces his company upon anyone. He interests himself in those who need him. Gladly will he enter the humblest home and cheer the lowliest heart. But if men are too indifferent to think of the heavenly guest or ask him to abide with them, he passes on. Thus many meet with great loss. They do not know Christ and more, any more than did the disciples as they walked with them by the way. So what is the result of this encounter with the risen Lord? The Bible says in Luke chapter 24 and verse 32, it says, and they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while we walked and talked with him on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? You know, I used to always talk to my wife and say, you know, heartburn, it's, it's interesting that they call it heartburn because this is something that's going on in your stomach. Until recently, I looked it up. It's always good every now and then to go on your computer and actually look something up. And I actually looked it up, and it actually is something that starts in the heart at the, uh, where the, esophagi where, where, where the esophagi uh, esophagus, that's the word, is, and actually is something that creates a burning sensation in your chest. Therefore, it feels like your heart in that area is burning. But this is not the heartburn that these guys were experiencing. They were experiencing more of a deep passion for Jesus and the word of God. They had a personal encounter with Jesus that focused on the expounding of the scriptures in the things concerning himself. And friends, I want to ask you this evening, does your heart burn for Christ? Is your heart stirred by the love of God as revealed in Christ? Jeremiah said his word is in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back and I could not. And apparently Cleopas and his companion could not hold it back either. Their hearts were burning with passion for Jesus and they had to share the good news. 
Look what happens in Luke chapter 24 and verse 33. The Bible says, so they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the 11 and those who were with them gathering, gathered together saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road. And he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Again, friends, it was an encounter with Jesus like this one that burned the hearts of the disciples and launched the first century church. It was an encounter with Jesus and a passion for the Bible that set the hearts of the Advent pioneers ablaze and launched a worldwide movement. And it was an encounter with Jesus that set my own relationship with Jesus on fire. And it's the reason I'm standing here before you today. But I declare to you today or this evening that all Jesus needs are some people here at 180 who are willing to surrender and become fully committed followers of Jesus Christ, and God will set the city of Hinsdale ablaze with his glory. I thought I would get an amen there. There won't be enough room in this chapel to hold the amount of people that God wants to bring as we surrender to him. And friends, Christ is calling you right now where you are to have a burning heart experience with Jesus Christ. You know, to be quite honest with you, there were a lot of obstacles that happened before we came here today. And the enemy was wrestling with me and, and Jesus was also trying to work with me on some things. But one of the things that I've come to, to understand in my walk with Jesus is that honestly, at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, the only thing that truly makes sense in this world, if you're a person of faith, and even if you're not a person of faith, is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. I mean, we can study about a lot of different things in scripture. But at the end of the day, if our hearts are not burning within us because we're seeing them as they are in Christ, then really what we are doing is we are engaging in a lot of biblical facts that actually make sense. But we're missing the mark if we don't see how they relate to the person that we're walking with every day. Does that make sense? And so I had to actually ask the Lord to do a work in my own heart. It's so easy to study a lot of things about him in the seminary. There's a lot of information coming my way every week. But if my relationship with Jesus is sacrificed, what is it all worth? I want to invite you tonight, if you want to make a commitment to Jesus Christ, just to make Jesus Lord of your life and surrender your heart to Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to stand with me right now. If you want to surrender your heart to Jesus Christ, and I'm not asking for someone to be baptized, if that's what you would like to do, we can, we can arrange for that. But if you simply want to say, Jesus, I want to give you my heart fully and I want to allow you to have full control in my life. And wherever you take me on this journey, if it's an Emmaus Road experience, if it's like Paul, a Damascus Road experience, wherever he takes you, that you'll be willing to go wherever he leads. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we're so grateful that you are the one that makes all scripture meaningful, that you're the one that both the Old and New Testament are pointing to. Everything, Lord, that we're about 
really and truly comes down to you. I want to pray for someone tonight, Father, that maybe whose hearts you may have touched. And I want to ask, Lord, that you do what we can't do for ourselves. It's, it's all for you. May we come to a place, Father, of surrender. I want to pray a special prayer tonight for 180, that you would bless this place, that this place would become so, so filled with people that are hungry to know Jesus. Lord, I thank you for this church, because this church is a church, Lord, whose faith is centered in Jesus. Father, I thank you for the message that you've given this church. But I'm asking, Lord, that you would so radically cause us to lift up Christ in everything that we believe. Because, Father, it's you that are attractive. It's you that will draw all men to yourself. And I just pray that in all of our lives, you will be lifted up and we will decrease just a little bit more. I want to thank you, Lord, for hearing and listening to this prayer and, to, and for receiving the commitments made for you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Living For Him podcast. I pray that you were blessed by this message and that you experienced the good news of the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. I'd like to personally invite you to respond to this good news and take the next steps in following Jesus by clicking the prompt in the description. I've also created a resource to help you experience the joy of a close relationship with Jesus called the Life in Christ Daily Devotional Journal. If you'd like to experience Jesus daily, watch the good news of his story unfold throughout scripture, and do this as a weekly small group gathering, then get your copy today in print or ebook by clicking the link in the description. Living for Him exists to tell the story of Jesus for the equipping of healthy disciple makers who extend His reign of love. If you'd like to support the further development of this exciting ministry, then I encourage you to become a monthly supporter by also clicking the link in the description. Your support is greatly appreciated. You're also invited to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to our e-newsletter by visiting our website at livingforhim.tv. Lastly, we kindly ask that you write us a review on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or any other podcast platform you're listening to us on and share this podcast with your friends. I look forward to meeting you here again in our next episode, where our desire is that you experience the joy of life in Christ. Once again, I'm CJ Cousins, and I'm living for him. <laughs>